Season 2, Chapter 9, Quiet Time. If you find you're going through hell, keep going. Winston Churchill. Quiet Time. It was early evening before Ed's sedan rolled into Dr. Karen's driveway. He offered to walk her in, but she refused. They both needed to be alone. Her house was dark and cold. Dr. Karen threw her keys down onto the dining table and flicked on lights as she walked. She passed the kitchen and then paused briefly at the door of her tiny study. She turned on her desk lamp and looked around. Then she dropped her backpack onto her desk chair. It was loaded with the remnants of the last few days. Empty water bottles, a three-day-old banana, several spent syringes and rubber gloves— but she was too tired to deal with that now. She left her office and headed toward her bedroom, tearing off her clothes as she walked. She'd been wearing the same jeans and sweater for three days, the same clothing that she had touched Abram with. The thought repulsed her. Tomorrow she would destroy the clothing. Tomorrow, she thought, and tossed the items onto the bathroom floor. Tomorrow she would have rounds to make, depositions to prepare for and patients to see. She had been away for just a few days, but that was all it took to fall behind. Even worse, she found herself not wanting to go back. She felt strangely inept, unqualified. Imposter syndrome, kiddo, she told herself. You gotta get back on the horse. Tomorrow. While the tub filled with hot water, she popped two sleeping pills into her mouth and swallowed them dry. She was thinking about Harper now, her rock, always there, reminding her to be strong. Smart cookies never crumble, she used to say. Amelia stood by the bathtub and closed her eyes, holding the vision in her mind for as long as she could. And when it faded, she slid into the bath. The house was still. Her beloved aunt was dead. She was alone. For the first time since Harper's passing, she allowed the emptiness to come to her. She watched the steam rising from the water and listened as a droplet released its grip from the curved faucet. The sound echoed across the bathroom, across the house, and possibly even across the universe. I won't crumble, she promised, as the pills started to take effect. Ed was relieved to be alone, and, unlike Amelia, he most certainly was not going home. He was more determined than ever to get back to Abram White. Abram had delivered on his threats to hurt Samantha, and now Ed was ready to pay him a visit. Your father isn't around to protect you anymore, is he? Ed seethed, and then he remembered the sound of the gun going off and the pandemonium that ensued. In the barn on that gray morning, he understood how far desperation can push a parent. Not once during his time in Boston did Ed cry. Shock had done its job and held him up under the arms while he settled Samantha's affairs and arranged for her apartment to be cleaned. Give everything to charity, he'd said. And during the long drive back from the city with Dr. Karen, 
He'd been stone silent. He couldn't form a sentence, couldn't think of anything but the image of his daughter's body in the morgue. He did not recognize the woman on the stainless steel gurney. Her neck had been broken, and her head fell grotesquely to one side. His brain worked to identify the Samantha that he once knew. Her face was covered in bite marks, and her skin was a strange bluish gray. Her long hair was what he remembered, and the shape of her lips. But nothing else looked familiar. For years, Ed had been held hostage by his addiction to hope, hope that Sammy would end her estrangement, hope that she would honor her mother, hope that she would call him. Standing over her, he was finally free of it, free to let go of her and move on with his life. Now hope watched from a distance as Ed burned this one final bridge. He touched Samantha's lifeless arm and leaned down to whisper very softly so that only she could hear. Your mother and I loved you so completely, but that was never enough for you, was it? Nothing was ever enough for you. You were a horrible daughter, and we loved you anyway. Then Ed stood straight up, calling out, Now get me the hell out of here. Ed had arranged to have her cremated, and then he left. There was no service. With all of this behind him, Ed was ready to turn his attention back to Abram. The empty lake house had nothing to offer, and so he drove on to the diner, taking his favorite spot in the last booth along the window. Only this time, he kept his back to the door. Evie watched him enter, dragging the weight of the world in behind him. Wisely, she said nothing and brought him his usual coffee. A short time later, Sheriff Randall's tall and sturdy body filled the diner's entranceway. He removed his hat and locked eyes with Evie. She understood what he wanted and nodded in the direction of Ed on the other side of the restaurant. Nathan started talking as he moved to join him at the booth. Doc texted me to say you guys made it back. I figured I'd find you here. Are you planning to stay put for a while? He took in Ed's condition as he sat down. It wasn't good at all. Grief and rage were jockeying for control of Ed's facial muscles, and the result was terrifying. Leave me. Ed's voice was monotone. Ed, I'm not going to mince words. Were you planning on a trip up the apple farm tonight? The sheriff was still undecided about how much to share. Ed was dealing with enough already. Leave me. This is between me and that thing we have tied to the floor of the ice house. Don't get involved, Sheriff. Ed looked away while Evie brought more coffee. The Sheriff smiled softly, trying his best to look friendly, until Evie left them again. Both men sat in silence, not sure of what to say. Eventually, Nathan spoke. He kept his voice low. What is he, Ed? What is that thing we're now responsible for? Ed's hands were absent-mindedly twisting a napkin as he spoke. The world is made of hate. It's a pointless black hole swirling with cruelty and pain. 
Abram is here because this is where he belongs. It's his world, not ours. We're the strange ones, the outsiders. And if you want my opinion, which it seems you do, there are more Abrams out there. These freaks, these takers, they're all around us. Legions of them. They destroy and pillage and piss on innocence. People like me never had a chance here. Evil always wins, Nathan. And it always will. Sheriff Randall sat motionless while a chill rolled up his spine. More like Abram. He hadn't considered it. If this were true, then what? What was waiting for him in the darkness? He looked at Ed, who was sinking fast, and decided it was time to say more. Ed, listen. He's not in the ice house. I know Doc and the old man had only agreed to neutralize him, not hurt him. But, well, he was a little too comfortable for my liking. So I've changed the terms, and I've given him something to think about. He's not on the sedative anymore. See? We can fight this. There is hope. I'm telling you this because I want you to have a sense of peace. Peace? There can never be peace. Ed's eyes were glassy. But if he's burning in hell, and I hope he is, then at least there's justice. The sheriff considered the future and looked down into his coffee. Yep he said, while rearranging his reflection with a swirl of his mug. Justice. That works for me. Let's start with justice. The softness of spring moved like velvet as the wind dressed the trees with the aroma of earth and renewal. The lake ice was thinning and the loons could feel it. Soon they would answer the call and leave the sea, returning to raise their young and fill their bellies with smelt and minnow and perch. The long days dripped water into the rivers and streams that raged under the last of the deep snow, carving out tunnels and thinning the barrier between darkness and light. A moose, heavy with the weight of her unborn calf, ambled down the old tote road, away from the mountain. The cow was headed to her favorite spot along the outlet to browse on birch and maple. She could smell the balsam and the white spruce buds. She could smell the soil and the long-abandoned beaver lodge. She bellowed softly and moseyed off the muddy road to cut through the thick bramble of wild raspberry. The new shoot scratched her itchy belly and grabbed at pieces of her winter coat. The sun was warm, and the woods were alive. Nature was busy with the work of springtime. In this quiet corner of western Maine was a lake, and it sat, as always, under the watchful eye of the woods and the wind and the old mountain to the north. But the lake was different now, no longer pure and innocent. It had started keeping secrets. Down beyond the reach of the sun's rays, far beneath the light of all good creatures, the deep water was hiding a cage. It was small and slimy, about the size of a footlocker, 
and it would hardly be worth considering at all, except for its contents. Inside was something no longer human, a perversion of the highest order, the undead. Here, in this inky vacuum, the vampire had lost his name and was left to mark the slow passing of time with endless spasms of pain and the sound of his own muffled screaming. But time is a double-edged sword, for time would also bring rust to the thin metal of the cage. And the lake was worried. Quiet Time, written and performed by Bridget Emmons. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Main Stories, or visit my website at BridgetEmmons.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed Season 2.